Welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. Welcome back, dear listeners, to another episode of Fast Talk, the Velo News training podcast. I am Kaylee Fretz, senior editor here at Velo News, sitting across the table from Trevor Connor, our longtime coach and training columnist. Today is all about racing. Granted, most of these podcasts are about racing. You'd probably be pretty quick to point that out. But this one is a bit different. Uh, we're going we're gonna to leave the physiology behind a little bit and talk tactics instead. Let's say you're on an amateur team, a bunch of Cat 3s with varying strengths and weaknesses. How do you use each rider effectively? How should a sprinter approach each race, or a climber, or a big diesel domestique? Those are the questions we're going to try to answer today. Now, Trevor and I have quite a lot of racing experience to draw on. Uh, we're both Cat 1s and raced for a while and crashed many times. But we're also joined today by Velonews Managing Editor Chris Case, who has stood on a Masters World Championship podium. Chris is no joke as a bike racer. And for a little pro insight, we're going to step out for conversations with retired pro Ted King and crit ace Eric Young, who's one of the best sprinters in America. Let's make you fast. I'm going to turn to Trevor because this one is one of his personal favorites. And back when he was coaching me a long time ago, uh, it was one that he pounded into my head over and over and over again. Trevor, tell us about it. It's summed up in really one line. Don't have a plan, have a role. Plans, you'll hear bike racers say this all the time. The best laid plans fall apart on the start line. So if you map out a race and say, we're going to do this at mile 10, this at mile 20, this at mile 30, I guarantee you by the time you get to mile 20, the situation you were expecting to have so you could execute your plan is not what's going on. And you're going to be left there scratching your head going, uh, so what do we do now? And this is pretty common within pro teams as well. They have a meeting in the morning in the bus. They all get a job. They don't get you know, attack at kilometer 60. That would be completely ridiculous. And it would, it would make many assumptions about the way that a race is going to unfold that are impossible to make. This seems like a good time to bring in a little bit of pro expertise. Let's, uh, let's throw to a conversation that Trevor had with none other than retired pro Ted King. Everything at this level is very specific. So you're not, you don't go in and just bring it, you know, I mean, you go there, right? With a specific captain mind, I mean, and that captain is going to obviously try to maximize their specialty. You know, if it's a sprinter race, we're going to bring sprinters. If it's a climbers race, we're going to bring climbers. That's quick overview. I mean, you don't, yeah, at this level, you just don't wing it, so to speak. Right. But that being said, you know, there's certainly a time and place for that. Also, if there's races that are less important on your on your annual plan, you know, then. You can you can race with a little bit more. I mean, shooting from the hip, you know, like you can attack when maybe you're not supposed to attack, or, or and and the greater point there is to do it for fitness. Being cavalier like that can also work too. I mean, if you you know you end up attacking nonstop, then who knows? Maybe you end up in the breakaway that ends up being the race-winning move. So, but obviously in those situations, you're decreasing your chances because uh, you're just sort of shooting from the hip. Whereas, you know, it's specific race goal with specific captain specific moves is uh, quite a bit more calculated. I mean, yeah, that's why I sort of get a kick out of any sort of pre-race meeting because you have a team plan 
and the other 19 teams have a team plan. And so, yeah, you go in with a fairly specific set of objectives in mind, you know, like you'll have three or four guys whose job it is to patrol early moves and early patrol the Peloton to see, you know, the right breakaway is going or the right mix of riders you know, from from this team, that team, whatever it is, whereas a handful of other guys will be, you know, you'll save the sprinters till the end, obviously, you save the climbers for when they're going to be needed. And, yeah, I mean, basically the best way to plan is only a plan. Here, if I'm going to completely <laughs> make up a percentage, it's probably 70% reaction. Like, yeah, you're trying to put your foot down and, and dictate the race, but like I said, so the other 19 teams, you certainly do have a specific goal in mind, and then you leave it all out there on the road. I mean, going back to the plan, like, you have your plan, you have your handful of guys who are trying to do a specific job, whether it's be in the breakaway or control the breakaway and make sure the right guys go up the road. But it's not, I mean, it's not as easy as saying, okay, we're going to let a five-man breakaway go, and team A, B, and C cannot be in that breakaway. And that's why you raise a bike, you know? It's not it's not as easy as queuing up a plan and making it happen. That's where you try to dictate the race. So I would say if you if you want to break it into what what are the classic roles in a team, you have your straight domestiques who are, are who do field control. So their job is stay in the field, chase down a breakaway. If you don't get any riders in it, set the pace when you have the the GC leader on your team, or even to help shut down a field if there's a breakaway up the road that that you want. You have breakaway riders, and you you have both early attackers whose job it is to just keep the pace high to, to force the field to chase to really wear down legs. And then you have late attackers who are usually the ones that are going to be in the, the, the break that's going to go to the finish. Then obviously your lead out riders and your sprinters. There's a lot of different roles you can have in a team and sometimes you have to play multiple ones. So from a coaching point of view, Trevor, how does one determine what role they should play on any given day? Well, that's a good question. What you really have to look at, obviously, are what are the assets of your riders. Um, some roles are pretty obvious. If you have a big guy who can put out 2,000 watts, he's going to be your sprinter at the end. You have riders like me who I can put down a, a lot of good hard wattage, but when you get to the end of the race, if I take on a kid on a tricycle, it's going to be a pretty even match. So I'm built from the ground up, and, and you pointed this, this out. Of- this. <laughs> Sadly true. Um, when I went to the National Center in Canada, Hushang Amiri, the head coach there, took one look at me and there was this 175-pound, probably over-muscled rider, and he just went, track rider. So finally in the spring, he got Which, me on... you know Trevor is completely hilarious. Right. So Hushang finally in March got me on the track. I did my best, and at the end of it, I took a look at him. He just shook his head and went, No. Not track rider. <laughs> <laughs> and that comes back to the fact that, you know. I'm built to be a domestique. I'm built to ride for other guys. So knowing your strengths is really going to help determine a lot of your assets. I think of you, Chris, and, and you could probably share some of your experiences about this with racing. You're a good climber, but your biggest asset is that last five, ten minutes of a climb. You can really put down some big power and really hurt guys. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for knowing what you're capable of in terms of your power numbers. 
And being very honest with yourself. And being too. very honest with yourself. And your teammates. And your teammates, for like, sure. If you, if like, and I think a lot of people make the mistake of, uh, and you have to be careful of this, particularly in the amateur ranks and particularly, uh, if, if you're relatively new to racing in that sort of looking at your body type and assuming that your body type is an indicator of your skill set. Like, how many guys did we have show up at, at collegiate races? And just because they were a little bit shorter and sort of more stout, they thought they were a sprinter and they couldn't sprint their way out of a wet paper bag. You do have to be very honest with yourself and what you're actually going to be good at. And those people might have been better off like, yeah, get in the early breakaway. Do something else to help the team. Don't build a team around somebody who can't actually put out the power to win a race at the end of the day. What about the rider that come, shows up to a race and he has no teammates? How does he decide what his role should be on that day? Well, that's a really important thing because you can't do every role. You can't be the breakaway rider. You can't be field control sitting on the front setting pace and and be in the sprint. I I watched an athlete just actually last weekend who was doing one of her, her first races and she was super strong, but she sat second wheel the entire race when she was teamless. And when she got to the sprint, she had nothing left in her legs. And, and I couldn't help it. But at the end of the race, I said, well, you did a great job for your teammate. It's too bad you didn't have one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a lot of that is, is determining. I think, you know, if, you, if, if we're going to have a takeaway here, if you're a solo rider and, you know, no teammate stepping into an amateur race, a lot of it is trying to figure out before the start which of those jobs is going to end up being the successful one, right? Is, the, is today going to end in a sprint? Okay, then don't do anything the entire day. Is today going to end in a breakaway? Then when is it going to go? Is it going to be the first one off? Is it going to be one that goes off five minutes from the end of the race? Is it going to be something in the middle? And you have to be in that particular breakaway because you only have one shot. You only have you. And you're not going to get, unless you're very, very strong, you don't have an opportunity to try more than once, really. Uh, Maybe twice. But But really, you need to figure out how the race is going to go before it starts and that is that that that's a whole nother can of worms that we're not going to open up right here (laughs) and to 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 follow up on your point though if it looks very likely that it's going to come down to a sprint and you're trevor and you have no sprint but you want to try to win this race (laughs) you got to try something different than waiting for that sprint right vice versa if it's a if it looks like it's a course for a breakaway and you're a sprinter well you know you got to think about that too right Either try to get in the break and sit there or – although they don't, people don't tend to like that. Like no. Cavendish got in the early break at Paris-Roubaix this year and all of his breakmates got so angry they wanted to send him back to the field because they knew that no one was going to let Cavendish get up the road, you know, for, for – because <laughs> if he gets to the finish line, there's no one going to beat him, right? Roubaix is not a perfect example because maybe not a perfect race for Cavendish. But right. nonetheless, you know, every anytime you get a guy, a sprinter in a break like that, your breakmates are not going to be super stoked. Uh, but if you're solo, then who cares? I also wonder, like, you guys are talking about collegiate racing quite a bit. And I feel like collegiate racing is a place for people to experiment and figure out what they're good at. Totally. I mean, because sometimes exactly. physiology tells you a lot of things, but it doesn't always tell you everything. And collegiate racing is a place for, for people that are are new to the sport to try things out, experiment, get a feel for what those roles are, what the responsibilities are. And that really extends all the way down through, well, a pretty far way into the amateur ranks, I would say. As yeah. Well. You know, and, if you're in your first 
three to five years and you're racing cat four, cat three, even up to cat two, you're, you're still very much experimenting and figuring right. out what you're going to be good at. And, and, you know, sometimes that's the fun in it too. Like going out there and doing something different and mm-hmm. not waiting for what you traditionally do. That That is sometimes fun. And, you know, this applies to, um, uh, let's call them adults, non-collegiate <laughs> racers, where they have their group rides every whatever it is, every week. We have ours in town here and, and, you know, you go out there and you try different things and it, it's a training ride. You're supposed to train and that doesn't just mean riding hard. It means trying new stuff, figuring out when to attack, when to attack, how to attack. attack. I mean, some of the people on these rides are people you'll race again, race against that weekend. See if you can break them in a different way or try to figure out their, their move when they like to attack, all those sorts of things. So. It's not just about your physiology. It's about role, the, being comfortable in a particular role and understanding what that, what responsibilities come with that role. Back to Ted King again, who agreed that you have to play to your strengths. If you're a sprinter, don't be an idiot. Sorry. <laughs> if you're a sprinter, don't try to hang or, or be aggressive in a climbing race. You know, if you're a climber, it's probably less advantageous to go after a whole series of criteriums. Contrary to that, yeah, maybe at certain times of the year, if you're not trying to hit a specific peak or goal or result, then you should do other races that aren't necessarily part of your, that don't queue up on your, on your strengths in order to, to, to train those weaknesses. You know, if your goal is to go in for fitness, then attacking a lot makes perfect sense. If your goal is, and you know, make the breakaway. If your goal is to save yourself for the final sprint or final climb, then attacking relentlessly at the beginning is probably a dumb move. Racing smart would be to key up on your strengths and not waste energy elsewhere. If somebody's coming into a race, it's a race they'd like to win. Uh, uh-huh. And not necessarily the a team that can deliver them to the finish. Uh, what are some strategies for dealing with that when you're the marked guy in the race? Maybe again, really recognize that patience is a virtue. And and you know, I mean, you oftentimes you're rolling dice, right? You don't. There's a hope that that not everybody is waiting for you. And I realize, you know, there's a lot of negative racing at, at that level, shutting everything down and not letting certain breakaways go, and not letting certain teams go. But when I say rolling the dice, it's like, yeah, you have the patience to hope that it's going to come down to a final sprint and you can, if you are the, the favorite rider, regardless of having a full team or a small team or no team, and putting all your eggs in that basket and saying, I'm a sprinter, I'm here to sprint, I don't want to be wasting energy elsewhere. If it comes down to a final sprint, yeah, I'll likely win it, and I'm not going to waste energy elsewhere. So if the breakaway goes and sticks it and say, love you, I rolled the dice and didn't come away with that victory. There's always another race. So let me go back to what Chris was saying. We all watch the Giro d'Italia. We all watch the Tour de France and, and try to learn from the strategy. And, and you're certainly seeing the best of the best. But what surprises a lot of people is the fact that in, in many ways, Tour de France is, is some of the most boring race strategy you can watch. You talk to the pros and they'll tell you. They, they have a little earpiece in there have somebody tell them, go this speed, go that speed, and they really almost turn the brains off. Those stages tend to have a a set format that they follow, and and they follow that to a T almost every single day. 
in many ways, it's actually at the lower levels. It's at the, the amateurs or domestic pro or even the collegiate racing where you see some of the most exciting strategy going on because it hasn't been laid out. You want some fascinating tactics? Check out a Cat 4 race. <laughs> Good luck Ta- figuring out why is anyone a, is doing anything. Tactics is a strong word to use there. Of course, I still remember the one of the first times I was coaching, uh, or right when I started coaching CSU, uh, we watched a, a race in the B field where we had a breakaway with, what was it, seven CSU riders and yes. one Fort Lewis. Uh, and the CSU riders started attacking, but every CSU rider wanted to be in that move. So they would just sit there and chase one another down and chase one another down. Well, the Fort Lewis riders out on the back catching uh, a nice easy ride to the finish. And when they got to the finishing stretch, they did the most exciting sprint I think I've ever seen. They just lined out eight riders wide <laughs> and all sprinted straight out and that Fort Lewis rider hadn't put his face in the wind all day, just blew all their socks off. Well, we were second through eight. <laughs> Before you, you did say how the you know the Tour de France can be very predictable in its in its um, some of those transition stages where there's a very methodical, um, boring, <laughs> boring uh, plan for Call the day. But that doesn't mean that you can't learn from or learn how to win from watching some of those races and other races. You know, the the pros are good at what they do, obviously. They're also being told by sport directors who've been racers themselves and and know so much more about this than most people on when to go, when not to go, what to do, when and when to do it. So watching and studying those races, you can you can learn a lot. I think some of the spring classics are actually great for that because it's, it's a whole lot of tactics condensed into a single day and not all the moves are premeditated. You know, like even though they have radios in their ears, the, the directors in the back still don't know how everyone's feeling. They can't see exactly who's in every single group. So like a race like the tour of Flanders, you know, Peter Sagan didn't plan to go right there. He didn't plan to fall Kwiatkowski really early, but it ended up working. And what you need to do is watch a race like that. And once you see the way it ends, be able to work backwards and figure out why it happened like that. So, you know, if you watch this year's tour of Flanders, figure out a, why did Kwiatkowski go there? He went there because he clearly wasn't actually feeling as good. And that can be a tactic when you're not feeling as good as to go a little bit early. Why didn't Kenchelara follow? Why did Sagan follow? Why did it work for Sagan and not work for Kwiatkowski and not work and Kanchelara's tactics not work for Kanchelara? So take a race like that and go back and really pull it apart and figure out A, why these guys did what they did, even though it's often not premeditated, and then did each one of those tactics work the way that they were expecting it to? That's a really good point. A little bit of the reason why the, the Tour de France is more predictable is because you have a whole lot of riders that were hired at the start of the season to play very specific roles. And these are the best in the world at playing those roles. The climbers know how to be climbers. The sprinters know how to be sprinters. The domestiques know how to be domestiques. And they know how to play it to a T. So as Kaylee and, and Chris are saying... That's why you can still learn a lot from watching these races because you can see exactly the best of the best playing those roles. That's something that maybe Trevor can talk to about, like how do you 
become more instinctual at when to go and when not to go and when to hold back and, and those sorts of things. How do you get instincts? How do you get instincts? How, can you can you teach that? Can a coach teach a, 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 an athlete instincts? Is it something just gained through experience? Is it something that some people will get and some people will never get? Like, why did Sagan go versus, you know, like, he? it was just like in that in that split second, he had to make a decision, that sort of thing. Like, right. And it was 30 kilometers earlier than he was probably planning on going. Right. It's yeah. a hard question to answer, I think. But I had one of the first athletes I ever coached who ended up going pro for a while. He was one of the best breakaway riders I had ever seen. And I loved watching him in a race because a move would go up the road. He would do nothing. Another move would go up the road. He would do nothing. And move after move after move after move would go and he would do nothing. And then suddenly one move would go and he would just come out of the field like a banshee and be on that move and then you'd never see them again. He just knew every single time that is the move. And I've seen this whenever I've raced really top pros. I remember one of my first pro races, I was in there with Tyler Farrar and there was just attack after attack after attack going nowhere. And fortunately, I went with this one move and just all of a sudden, Tyler Farrar was out of the field up with us and, and that was the move. And it wasn't because he was driving it. He just knew that was the move. And I've talked to people and I've over the years gained that my sense myself. And when I get asked, how do you know? How do you know which move is the move? I couldn't put together a list. If you ask me to bowl it out, I really couldn't. It's a feel. You just go, nope, that's not the right breakaway. That's not the right breakaway. And you go, that's the one. And it just, it's, it's that. It comes with experience. And the only way you can gain that experience is to try. Don't just sit in races and wait and get to the finish line and suddenly go, Oh, well, I never tried. Try, and you're going to fail a lot, but you'll start getting a sense for this did work, that didn't work. And I think that's ultimately the only way to get there. It's actually not a bad homework assignment. Go find... So for the first time in a long time, Paris-Roubaix was broadcast from start to finish, which means that for the first time in a long time, we saw the first hour or two when that first break is, is established. And... It's an intense, intense first 90 minutes or so uh, because a lot of people want to be in that breakaway and it has to be the right composition. It has to be the right move. Go find that hour of video and actually you only have to watch the whole hour. It's about 20 minutes where it's actually, where the action is really, really hot. Go watch that 20 minutes and try to figure out why that was the move that stuck and when all the dozen or so before it didn't. And that'll teach you more than anything. At a, at a local level, I think, you know, knowing your competitors plays a role in selecting which break to go with. If you see the strong guys going in a break, then that's the break you want to be in yourself. Right. You know, that, that, that's, a, that's an easy one, but it's usually not that easy. It's, there's a little bit more nuance to it all. A couple other things to, to look for if you're that, in that breakaway role is see how responsive the field is. Uh, to breakaways. If somebody attacks and the field is immediately on it, you know nothing's going to succeed. If guys go up the road and the field seems very sluggish and it's not responding, the field's getting tired. Then you might have a chance to jump up to it and get away. Another thing to look for is you want to see riders from all the the big teams in the race up in that breakaway because then those teams aren't going to chase it. So that's that's some of the suggestions for the breakaway role. What about the sprinter's role? Kayla, you're a great sprinter. Uh, <laughs> patience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I was a good sprinter because I was I was la- I shouldn't say, I was the last sprinter standing is how I used to I used to try to win races because I could never compete with uh, the real sprinters but I could be I could I was still there when they were gone is essentially so it's like Peter Sagan minus about two hundred watts of threshold <laughs> that's 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 basically what I was no and that was all about patience and that was all about being the laziest goddamn bike racer on the on the planet because I would just never do anything if I didn't absolutely had to have to and you could do that when you have the if if you have the sprint legs and you know you're feeling good that day. And you know that whatever group you find yourself in the finish, you can win out of. There's no reason for you to do any extra work at all. It's their job to get rid of you. You don't need to go solo. You don't need to go in a group of two or three. You can sit in this group of 15 people and be, be confident that as long as you're patient, as long as you hold your matches, don't don't waste them, you can win at the end of the day. Patience is definitely the key if you're if you're the sprinter type, and it's the exact opposite. I think if you're more like Trevor, and and you have to be alone to win a bike race, <laughs> you can't. Or against the gut kid on the tricycle, or or against the kid on a tricycle. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just giving candy. I win every time. I think one of my favorite stories where you really see this these roles and the race strategy come out. Uh, this was many years ago, and we had two Masters National Champions in a breakaway together. One was Mark Castellou, and the other was Matt Eaton, if I remember correctly. One was a phenomenal sprinter. The other was a breakaway rider. And so they were probably 40, 50 miles from the finish, uh, away from the field, and the, the breakaway rider was doing all this work, and the sprinter just sat on his wheel. And he kept trying to get the sprinter through, and the sprinter wouldn't come through. And finally, out of frustration, he just slowed down pulled over and said, are you ever going to take a poll? Sprinter comes up to him and goes, look, you got a, you got a choice. You can carry me to the finish. I'm going to out-sprint you in the race, and you're going to get second. If you don't like that, we can go back to the field. I'm still going to win the race. You're going to get 20th. <laughs> Breakaway rider thought about it for a minute and went, second sounds great. <laughs> I, I remember I had an opportunity to uh, ask Gord Frazier, who was the, the winning at a crit rider in American or North American history. So I asked him what it takes to, to be a great sprinter and, and I loved his answer and it clarified for me that I will never be a sprinter, even if I had the potential for it. He said, when I go into that final corner, I want to take that corner in a way that there's a 50% chance I'll win the race and a 50% chance I'll end up in the hospital and not care which. Yeah. Good one. So, <laughs> good one. Not going to suggest you take that either. approach. Yeah. Won't suggest you take that approach at amateur racing. That might be a little bit too aggressive. Yeah. But the great Brian Holm, director of, of Edix Quickstep, said that uh, he he realized he had to stop racing when he started wanting to wear a helmet. And again, this is a while ago, and we are not condoning not wearing a helmet. <laughs> but we're not but condoning it, crashing it, in the final right. quarter. But, but the point being that basically, as soon as he started worrying about the outcome of his actions in a bike race, is when he realized that he had to retire because he was no longer effective at what he was doing. And I think the other important thing here is if you want to be a sprinter, it's not just about that pure power in the last 10 seconds. Actually, that's a very small part of it. It's about in those last couple laps, you need to get to the front and you need to stay at the front. And that means really fighting for your position. And if you can't do that safely or if that scares you, 
pick a different role. Yep. And sometimes more work is done in the positioning than in the final. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So they actually did a study on this. Um, it was actually a study where they, they analyzed every single one of uh, Mark Cavendish's races to see which ones he won and which ones he lost. And invariably, for him to win the race, coming into the final kilometer, he always had to be positioned second through eighth wheel. If he was front of the field, which he never was, or outside of eighth, he never won a race. That's the key. I caught up with two-time national criterium champion Eric Young, rider who probably could outsprint me on a tricycle. I asked the rally cycling rider what it takes to play the sprint role, including how much of it comes down to genetics. The physical aspect of it is is a lot very genetic, but determining like how you actually do in a race, like there are a lot more factors than just how good of a sprinter you are running in a straight line, you know, in training or whatever. Um, so like just how many raw watts you can put out. I think that aspect of it is is very genetic, and of course, like it is very malleable. I mean, I've improved a lot during training and stuff, but. And again, you know, there are guys that no matter if I train it or not, I'm going to be way faster than them. So, but the aspect that I think you can work out a lot is how you ride the, you know, the last three or four K of a race and, you know, how you just manage yourself in the sprint, your mentality, your strategy, like how, just where, what wheels you're following, how you're doing it. So I think that's where, you know, the, the biggest improvement can be made. And, and that's also not uh, really dependent on your genetics. So it's, Anyone can improve in that, even if they're not really that fast. They can still, if you're in the right position at the right time, you can still do pretty well, even if you're not all that fast. So, yeah, I would say it's kind of, kind of both, honestly. Did you have any other thoughts or, or wisdoms for uh, for sprinting or, or the sprint finish? You know, there's not too many parallels from, you know, just from my experience, the races that I've won, like every race is, is very different, and it's, I think it just depends on the type of rider you are. So, I mean, I've, I've won races where I can, I can go pretty far out and continue accelerating all the way to the line and so I'm able to hold the off. But, of course, you know, it's sure California next week. Like, that's probably not the best strategy because Cavendish and Killer are there. Like, they're going to be able to come around you, you know. So, right. it depends totally uh, on the race and the, the other racers that are in the field. Think critically about, you know, every race before – before you uh, are actually in a race, come up with you know a loose plan and then be flexible with it. Don't give up. Like even, there, I mean, there's there have been times where you know with 10k to go, I'm like hurting up a climb and fairly fairly hanging out, almost getting dropped. You know, and you're thinking to yourself like, how am I going to try and win this race? Um, you know, there's 60 guys here and I'm almost getting dropped. But you know, you can. I have won races like that, so you can recover and you can you know. So it's kind of Never give up. Yeah, even if you're really close to the finish, like just keep going, put yourself in the best spot you can, stay relaxed. They're all good things. I think a lot of people almost think of the sprint as it, that's really just all raw power. Where really what I'm hearing from you is is the sprint finish is, is possibly the most tactical part of bike racing. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's, it's, well, I can't remember who I heard this from, but you know, if you're a climber and, and you're Try to win a mountaintop finish, you know, up like a 20 minute climb or something. You can make a few mistakes in there, you know, if you don't accelerate and exactly the right second, or, you know, you're one wheel off, you know, one, the right guy or whatever. Like, 
there's a little bit more room for error because the effort and the, that critical moment is drawn out so far, right? So long. Yep. Whereas, I mean, I think in a sprint, like it, a lot of times, if you make one mistake in the last five minutes of the race, you're done. So, you know, that's equally the most frustrating aspect, but it's also kind of cool. Like you have to be perfect and it's incredibly rewarding when it does work because, and you can look back on the end of that race and just be like, I did everything exactly right that I could have done. And, uh, you know, it doesn't happen all the time, which gets to be extremely frustrating, but when it does, it's totally rewarding and it's awesome. And it's, uh, one of the more, I don't know, unique aspects of, of racing, I think. So Chris, what about the climber role? You know, I think, uh, it comes down to patience as well, especially if, you know, if it's a, a summit finish, which you want to sit in. You want to be like Valverde. You want to not show your nose to the wind whatsoever. You want to let your Trevors of the world <laughs> kill themselves for you if need be, but otherwise just be patiently waiting, not unlike a sprinter. And then knowing what your strengths are in terms of climbing, whether it's long climbs, short climbs, punchy climbs, steep stuff, you know, long gradual stuff, that all comes into play on the day, but, um, you know, just kind of biding your time until that moment, I think is, is, uh, what you have to do. And, and someone like Froome is kind of, maybe he's not as popular as someone like Contador or Nibali because he's, he is extremely patient and is constantly looking at what his body is doing on that little gauge in front of him. But he knows how to win a stage or a race because he does exactly what he's capable of. Whereas someone like Nibli and Contador, they're exciting to watch because they're hell bent on attacking and, and just doing it with flair, you know? And, but which has been more successful? Which has been more successful? (laughs) I mean, Contador still tries to do that. Rarely does it pay off for him anymore. Now, we know maybe why that is a little <laughs> bit too, because he was, he's a different rider than he used to be. But, um, there's something to be said for doing exactly what you're capable of. And you know that based on that, yeah. that power meter. Te- Teats guys very, very into that kind of thing. I mean, they, they map out every single kilometer of every single climb in the entire Tour de France and know how fast Chris Froome can go up and know exactly where he can, he should attack and where he should, or where she, he should hold. So you, you've seen it too. I think it was a couple of stages of the Vuelta maybe last year where Froome was getting dropped by these guys that were attacking. People were going crazy because it's like, Oh, look at Froome's getting dropped. These guys are attacking. He doesn't have it. And then three minutes later, Froome was there because he did exactly <laughs> what he knew he could do. And the other guys went way above what they could do, had to dial it back. And then in the end, they all come back together. What are the other roles? Domestique. If you're a domestique, sorry. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Get to carry water bottles. If you want to be a cool domestique, you got to like go in the early move. <laughs> so we're, we're going back to the, the role of domestique. And, and the one thing I will say, there's a little bit of glory here. And it, it's something a lot of people don't realize is you have a captain of a team and you have a leader of the team. And they're often not the same person. Again, we always hate going back to this example, but Lance Armstrong was the leader of the team, but George Hinkapi was the captain. And it's often the do- a domestique who plays the captain role, who directs the team, directs the strategy, tells the team what to do. 
But as a domestique myself, I will tell you, there's a huge amount of satisfaction in knowing that when you can't be the guy winning the race because you don't have the assets, that you can go out, tear yourself apart, and it doesn't even matter if you win, if you finish the race, you did something for your team and you helped get your riders on the podium. And that can be really satisfying, far more satisfying than rolling across the finish line in 20th place or 30th place. And I think that's when you know you fully embraced your role. Because you've done your job as successfully as possible, and that was it. That was what you were supposed to do on it that day. It's less stressful too, like being being the last man. Yeah, being being the sprinter is, can be very very stressful because you have a whole bunch of guys that just worked very hard for you, and now you have to try to finish the job. Whereas if you're, you know, the domestique role, I've played that many times as well. And you know, when you can just basically bury yourself and then call it good at like two k to go, that's. Yeah, you don't have Much to worry nicer. about that. Last, <laughs> you don't have to worry about that last corner whether yeah. you're going to make it through or not. Yeah, I still remember racing with Kaylee when we go into the crits. We had every weekend this rider who we were up against who was probably the best pure sprinter out there, and it was always a concern that if if he and Kaylee came down head to head, he was probably going to take Kaylee. And so I came into these crits and I would be there at the end. I'm going, I'm, I'm not even going to get on the podium here in the sprint finish. <laughs> So we just played a, a strategy every week that even though I finished ultimately 30th, it was incredibly satisfying, which was we'd come into that final lap or just before that final lap, I'd break away because I've got a good diesel engine. And then this rider, the sprinter that we were up against, he always had a choice. Lead me up there, let me win the race and then out sprint Kaylee or get on the front, chase me down which is what he always did. And then once they hit the sprint finish, he had just worn out his legs. Well, Kaylee sat on his wheel, and, and it, wasn't even a, it wasn't even a challenge. You beat him by feet. When possible. When possible. <laughs> and I would roll in way behind the group, absolutely satisfied and really happy with my role because I helped Kaylee out to win. There is. I mean, yeah, you talk to domestiques, and, and that is the consistent refrain is that they've, you know, the reason that they – are still doing it. I mean, you, you know, in the pro ranks, you got the guys that have been domestiques for 15 years, and the reason they still love it is because of that satisfaction. And if you can sort of convert your competitive energy into a less selfish goal. That said, the races I remember are the ones that I won. <laughs> you won't deny that. <laughs> there is, there is, you know, it's all very nice, <laughs> but there is something to be said for staying on the top. But if you can't win. Second best is helping a teammate. Absolutely. Get on the podium. That domestic role is very, very valuable. So I think we got one last quick roll for this podcast, and that's the out of shape rider. That's me right now. Yeah. That's basically been me since I retired from bike racing, actually. So, But uh, this is the, you're on a team, you've showed up to the race, and you're pretty certain no matter what, you're not going to get to the end of this race. So what can you do? You can do as much as possible until you're blown up. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the the key here is like you don't want to put yourself in a position where your teammates are reliant on you. So things like the early break that would sound like a good idea when you're out of shape, maybe not actually a good idea because if that early break goes and then you get dropped out of it and all of a sudden your entire team has to chase a breakaway that you were in five minutes ago, your teammates are not going to like that very much. So I think think (laughs) – if you're truly out of shape and you show up to a race, I mean, if I was if I was the, the the road captain, I'd probably put you in sort of a sit on the front and 
pull back moves we don't like until you can't do it anymore. <laughs> Best thing you can do is even if it's just 20 minutes, if your team wants the pace high, keep the pace high. Bring back breakaways if you don't have teammates in it. Basically, allow the riders on your team who can get a result to sit in the field for a bit and save their energy, not have to waste it chasing down moves, not having to waste it to go with, with pointless breakaways so they can be strong later. Yep. Yeah, every match you spend should be a match saved for a teammate. So climbing, patience, spring, patience, domestiquing. Kill yourself. Kill yourself. <laughs> Kill yourself. You shouldn't be there at the end. Yeah, Breakaway rider, same thing. Constantly. you got to kill yourself a bit. Yeah. This has been another edition of Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast. We'd like to thank Chris Case, our managing editor, for joining us. Today we talked about the various roles in racing. That was our first part in a whole series that we'll do on race tactics, race strategy, everything you need to know about racing. So tune in for more episodes in that series. As always, we love your feedback. Email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. Subscribe to Fast Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Be sure to leave us a rating and a comment. While you're there, check out our sister podcast, the Velo News Podcast, which covers news about the week in cycling. You can hear Kaylee share his thoughts on that one as well. Become a Fast Talk on Facebook at facebook.com slash velonews and on Twitter at twitter.com slash velonews. Fast Talk is produced by Velonews, which is owned by Competitor Group. The thoughts and opinions expressed in Fast Talk are those of the individual, especially Chris's. For Kaylee Fretz, and Chris Case, and all of our great guests, I'm Trevor Connor. Thanks for listening.